Hi guys and welcome back to the Fill Your Boots podcast. Today I'm joined by Adam Radcliffe which is really exciting. You are Adam, you're the bodybuilder who travels. I think that's the easiest way to explain who you are. Um, I have so many questions to ask you today about traveling, staying in shape whilst you're traveling, business, social media, there's so much but let's obviously start with who are you and what do you do? Yeah great, I hope we can get into it all as well. Thank you for having me on today, it's a pleasure Philly. Um, yeah, the bodybuilder who travels is probably the the one way to put it in a, a one sentence nutshell. But obviously, as you can imagine, there's a lot more that goes into that. So I started lifting 10 years ago, like really skinny guy, uh, much like like yourself, actually, you started really skinny and then came to the realization that I could change my body composition. I was like, okay, I don't have to be have to be skinny my whole life. So decided, all right, let's just and then just fell in love with training. So decided to just try and put some muscle on, kept going and kept going, got the body that I wanted by the time just by the time I finished uni. And then turn to other challenges because I didn't, I decided I didn't want to compete, even though obviously, as you know, that's kind of the world that you get thrown into once you start working on your body. Didn't want to take steroids. And so I thought, yeah. what's next? So then I trained for my first marathon, uh, the London Marathon during COVID. And then as we'll talk about a bit later, left my job and now I'm chasing challenges around the world. So that's looked like things like skydiving, scuba diving, high altitude mountaineering. And uh, yeah, falling in love with with that. Yeah. And that's what my Instagram and my YouTube is all about. You've done all sorts. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, for anyone that doesn't follow Adam yet, I'm sure they will after this, um, your Instagram and your, your your YouTube is absolutely insane. Like The places that you've been, the videos that you've made are just incredible. And sometimes I sit here in grey old England and look at your videos and I'm like, <laughs> wow, I want to be there. <laughs> Yeah, I remember you said to me when we trained that time in March, you were like, yeah, when you post the videos of the turtles, I was like, I love turtles and I just wish I could be there. Um, and that's that's kind of why a part of the appeal of why I started the YouTube as well, because I was always in like cold, depressing England, you know, training over the winter and doing a job I didn't like. And I used to live through people that I like vicariously. Mm -hmm. And I wanted to be able to provide that joy and like escapism yeah. for people. And that's kind of what I try and bring to those videos. Yeah, you absolutely do. Um, it's a really big move to kind of just up sticks and go traveling. Is that something that you've always wanted to do like by yourself? Because I imagine that's really scary. Yeah, hugely. Um, and it's kind of as any anything is, it's like a level of progression. You don't start obviously solo traveling. Well, I didn't have the confidence to do that. And many people don't. Some people do. I didn't start like, okay, I'm going to be a solo travel adventurer. This is what I'm going to do. Obviously, there's stepping stones in order to get you there. And so that came like if you think back to like before I even started lifting, I used to love watching adventurous movies and like action movies and think, God, I wish I could like go out and, and live that life. And then gradually you build up your competencies. So I went after after uni, I did a two month trip in Southeast Asia with a friend because I would have been petrified to go on my own. And then we we did that. We had fun for a couple of months in Southeast Asia. And then I came back and I was like, oh. I could have done that on my own. Like the only difference was it was nice to have someone to eat with most of the time and have someone to bounce off. But like, it's not scary. I could solve all the problems on my own. And so then that was that stepping block to realize that I could do it, like leave my job and go full time, you know? It's a really big move, I can imagine, to kind of just up sticks and go, okay, I'm going to travel. How, like, how do you even make that decision? It must be really scary. Yeah, so many things came into it. Obviously, A, knowing whether it was a possibility for me at all. Um, and then B, building up the confidence. And so I was kind of lucky or unlucky, however you want to see it, in a job that I really was in a bad place with mentally and I just was at the end of my tether. So I knew that I had to go in a different direction. Um, and then I, compounding that, I also went on a mini trip to Southeast Asia straight after uni with a mate for two months. And so doing it with him made me realize, okay, I can do it with a friend and I actually could do it on my own if I had to. So then all of that kind of culminated together and made me think, what is my dream scenario now? Like if I had to leave my job fully and uh, and go and pursue the the one thing that I want to do, it would be what I'm doing now, becoming a full-time adventurer and documenting the journey for everyone. What job were you doing before? So I was, an, I was an operations manager at a big company. So it was like very fast paced, getting loads of shipments out the door all the time and managing a load of people. So up to like 70, 80 people uh, during the Christmas period as well. and yeah, there are so many stresses, obviously, that, that come with that. And then I was also on night shift. So that messes, as you know, how important sleep is just for like mood regulation, hormones and everything. So my end, the shift that I ended on, which obviously made things worse, was like a 7.30 p.m. to 6.30 a.m. shift. And so like trying to manage training, sleep, relationships and everything alongside that was just a no-go. So that uh, that was kind of why I reached the end of my tether, as I said. 
Yeah, I'm not surprised. So you just jet off, you go traveling on your own. How is that? Do you find it lonely? I think I'd really struggle not having people around me to just talk to. Yeah, there's kind of two ways of looking at it. Like, yes, I'm alone in terms of the whole journey is on my own, but also no matter where you're in the world, there's people, right? And also there's so many like Western travelers as well. So it might it's lonely in some cases where you're not aligned in values with a lot of people for example if you want to go traveling in like thailand to a party island they're going to be all seeking like hedonistic pleasure and partying and and like not aligned with the same values that i am but generally like the things that i'm doing the places i'm going i'll find people that want to climb a mountain or want to go scuba diving whatever it may be you know um and so yeah lonely in parts but also i've kind of grown up living on my own to some extent like post uni so I, I'm used to being in my own company and and getting through that <laughs> I I think we're all very ready to hear some of your travel stories because I know you've got a hell of a lot of them and one thing that springs to mind that I think needs to come up first is the hunter-gatherer story because it's hilarious yeah you're actually one of very few people that know this because obviously you're involved from the other side of the world (laughs) Uh, but I'll get to that so yeah one of the craziest things that I did was uh in this last trip in Africa that was my second of the the three total trips in this first series um I went and spent some time with the last hunter-gatherers in Africa the Hadzabe tribe and so it was just just me a translator and a chef Uh, and so we drove out into the sticks it took like four hours from the town to get there uh didn't see a single person for like an hour in the, the last hour of the drive and then turn up to the tribe. Um, long story short, you obviously you can watch the video and see the full experience. But long story short, we were hunting together uh, evening and, and morning. And they, these guys are like pure hunter gatherers and the last ones, as I said, on the continent. Um, and then one of the last few in the world. And so they don't have internet. They wash in rivers. Um, they use obviously fire and uh, like collect all of their own food. So that means no lights, no social media, no mobile phones, anything like that that you can think of. And so it just so happened that at one point after it was like after the evening meal, we were all sat around the, the campfire. My phone just starts buzzing and I'm like, what the hell? Because I hadn't turned it to airplane mode. So I, lo- I look and I've got a couple of bars of 4G. And I'm like, this is weird, like 40 kilometers from the nearest people. Um, and then, yeah, look at it. And then I'm like, OK, let me just go through some DMs, go through some like just catch up on some stuff while I've got a chance because I have plenty of time looked at a couple of dms and then they all start flocking around me a few of them like mainly the young lads because they're like oh dopamine like this is a a phone to look at because obviously they don't have don't have that very often at all so eight of them gather around and they're all like looking at my dms and i'm like well they can't read it this isn't very interesting for them let me try and show them something a bit more interesting so i literally just click on the home screen the first thing that comes up is philly in her underwear in a transformation post (laughs) and uh you know the one because i sent it to you at the time i know so i look at it and i'm like that's not this isn't what I normally look at guys and and they're all over my shoulder and the noise that they made when um the noise that they made when they all noticed it especially the younger ones they all they went like this simultaneously (laughs) oh and I felt so dirty in that moment (laughs) (laughs) because I was like uh yeah I'm sorry I didn't mean to show you that don't tell your parents and uh and yeah then we just scrolled through (laughs) and I moved on very quickly no it was it was very funny it's a good story Uh, they weren't offended (laughs) funnily enough when I posted that transformation photo I wasn't thinking hunter-gatherers were gonna see it (laughs) no exactly um and it just goes to show they're the kinds of things that we're exposed to on a daily basis and then like you take that for granted like obviously not just exposed to Philly in their underwear on a daily basis I mean like all the all the various things on Instagram you're looking constantly at people on the other side of the world doing doing crazy things uh and then to them like it puts it into perspective when you're looking at, at it from a, a new lens which uh, was fascinating as well what's the biggest thing that you've kind of learned from those situations because I imagine it makes things a lot simpler in a lot of ways and it makes you obviously compare their lives to our lives over here which is ridiculously different um do you find it kind of um it teaches you sort of certain lessons the, yeah, there's one lesson and, and you kind of go into those experience thinking, OK, I'll kind of learn this or that from them, kind of expecting what you think a life lesson will be. But I came away from that with one major lesson that I didn't anticipate at all. And it was the fact that so, yes, they have very simple lives. They don't have access to the same things we do. They're not constantly stimulated and pushing for more uh, like we are. And that came into their mindset so hugely when I looked at the way that they gather food, their social interactions, the the amount of like possessions that they own basically and essentially they just use whatever is necessary for them they eat 
the amount that they need. They drink the amount that they need. They like have the amount of shelter that they need and, and no more. Whereas we, in the Western world, we've got this mindset of push, like develop, conquer, and just uh, completely like c- constantly pushing for more. And then there's a lack of satisfaction that comes with that because there's always a gap, obviously, from where you are now and, and what you could have. And so in the Western world, we're constantly measuring ourselves against, uh, okay, this is where I am. This is what I want, more money, bigger car, whatever it may be. Whereas for them, it's like, for example, they gave me their food when obviously I didn't need it. And they like offered their food around because they were like, okay, we've had, we've had enough, like you have a bit kind of thing when obviously they could have ate much more. It's just that, that selfless community aspect that makes you think there's something, a lot of things that we can learn. That's one of the things that we can learn from uh, stepping back in time like that must be incredible to spend time there I don't know if I'd enjoy it I'll be perfectly honest with you I don't know if I would enjoy it (laughs) that's what you've got me for I'm doing the uncomfortable things that people can watch from their sofas so you clearly (laughs) are pleasure in that have you had any like any particular uh, particularly scary moments whilst you've been traveling that sort of made you go oh my god why am I here um there's a couple of moments like in during activities. So, so there's one major skydiving one and one major scuba diving one where I was like, okay, could have died there if something, <laughs> if that didn't go so well. Um, but then in terms of the other, the other, yeah, I can tell you one of those if you want as well. Um, but in terms of scary, like what makes things scary, it's generally people, right? So you're, you're in a situation where uh, you don't know who you're surrounded by, like what their intentions are, if they want to take advantage of you. And so when I was in Africa, even though I was kind of staying in some, more touristy and affluent areas you feel very white when it's kind of you know 50 to 100 people turn and look at you on the street as you're walking through um but luckily i was in a city and towns and stuff where they were like positive and not impoverished so some lots of people would come and try and take advantage of you but there was never i think it helps being my build and being a male as well um like i never had anyone like physically try and attack me it was just loads of people trying to take advantage of me you know they, they see you and they're like okay let's try and see what we can do here so you learn to manage that the longer you you travel but it, my number one tip for anyone whether it's you know walking through south london at night or on the other side of the world it's engage people be respectful don't disrespect anyone as you're walking past but don't stop so that's kind of my rule that gets me out of a lot of trouble so if someone's like heckling me to whatever stop and buy something or give them money or whatever i'll say hey how you doing nice to meet you thanks for having me and then like just but but i won't break my stride and that really helps in a lot of situations and then it's like comes down to we look at the police force in this country and like um i guess what would you call it the the law enforcement system and no one in this country would ever think to bribe a police officer like the rules are the rules this is the way it is but then when you go into those less developed countries you realize Okay, sometimes like Cairo, for example, that's a different different ball game whatsoever. And then like when you go into like the less affluent African countries in in Southeast Asia, they just want a bit of money on the on the side. So it's very tough battle to navigate. But essentially, like your life isn't worth isn't worth uh, conflict. So you become very good at kind of uh, diffusing conflict and then just realizing what people's intentions are and and letting them have kind of a bit of what they want rather than uh, escalating the situation. Yeah. Interesting. Um, you can't let me go without the stories about the uh, scuba diving and the skydiving because I am so curious about that now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, okay. Well, the skydiving one was actually in the UK. So I, I just got my license. And what happens when you get your license basically it means, okay, you're cleared to skydive on your own. You're not anyone's responsibility. If you die or mess up, like it's your fault because we've deemed you responsible and able to skydive. And people and people think skydiving, I thought, well, anyway, skydiving is way easier than it looks. It's one of those skills that's just in, like incredibly difficult. You think, oh, you just jump out of a plane. But the body control that these people have at the elite level to like fall in a certain way is just incredible. And so I was doing drills for my next qualification, which allows me to jump with other people of a similar level. So I can jump with people better than me, but jumping with people of a similar level because we'd just be like banging into each other and you can easily travel 60 miles an hour at each other and knock out and then that's game over. So you've got to like be able to slow yourself down, speed yourself up and be responsible. So for that qualification, I had to prove to my instructor um, and he was like an instructor rather than a, a coach or, or a coach rather than an instructor, I should say, i.e. my safety isn't his responsibility, just the drill, the drills that we were doing were. So what happens was he tries to get me to do a better track towards the end of the skydive. And a track is when you put your arms behind you and you try and move horizontally to clear your clear the area. So you're away from other skydivers before you 
deploy your parachute and also maybe to get over a different landing area as well. And so I'm doing my track and we've gone through some drills on the ground. And essentially the way it works is you've got to make your body, your chest concave. So it's kind of like a lat spread, rolling your shoulders forwards. Um, but it's very tempting to bring your arms forwards as well in that position because you're like pushing against the air pressure. But what happens, so that's exactly what I did. I kind of didn't realize that it was more of a lat spread and tried to push my arms forward. Then the wind just whips you around as soon as you're asymmetrical and like putting too much pressure, you become unstable. So, and but at this point, the track is at the end of the jump. So you jump at 15,000 feet and then at 6,000 feet, we kind of broke off and he wanted me to do a long track. So you fall about a thousand feet. Don't quote me on this, but it's in the region of four seconds. So it's not long at all, like three or four seconds. So I'm doing my track at 6,000 feet and I'm like, okay, it's been about three or four seconds. I'm at 5,000 feet now. And then I like doing the track, go unstable. And I'm like, okay, I'm upside down. I'm spinning around. It's 5,000 feet. I've not got long to get this sorted. Um, and so like tum tumble into the ground and then you're like, okay, gets, and I'm not his concern. He had already <laughs> buggered off because like he knows I can sort myself out. So then I'm like, okay, I'm upside down. We're at 4,000 feet. Quickly whip yourself back round again, try and get stable, try and slow yourself down 3,000 feet and then, <laughs> and then throw the parachute. So it's like, yeah, I didn't have many seconds left to, to sort that out. But um, yeah, <laughs> that's a stressful one. Oh my God, that's my worst nightmare. There's something about skydiving I absolutely couldn't do. I'm terrified of heights. I love scuba diving, but I'm interested to hear your story. <laughs> but skydiving is absolutely no go. That's what I love about skydiving though. It's because it's like, the most flow state you can you can get in it's like when you you're in the gym and you're doing a heavy set of legs whether it's like hack squat or back squat or whatever nothing else in the world matters it's just you completing your task and that's obviously what i seek in all of these adventures and so it's the same in skydiving you're just at completely in the moment trying to you know get the job done this is what i say when people are scared of heights for skydiving i say well you can't really see the ground anyway so you don't have to worry about that that doesn't help <laughs> no i know uh, so yeah, this, the scuba one was in the Philippines and I just got my paddy. Uh, and so a paddy, allow, like the paddy open water qualification allows you to go down to 18 meters. Um, and essentially it's like pretty recreational. If you, the, the main danger with scuba diving is if you come up really quickly, your lungs can, the pressure in your lungs can cause a big problem and like you can die. But at 18 meters, as long as you're not holding air in your lungs and you're breathing out, you can kind of come up and nothing majorly bad is going to happen. Uh, but if you want to go deeper to see obviously more things, whether it's shipwrecks or different animals, uh, the next qualification is the advanced and that allows you to go down to 30 meters. So I'm, I've just done my paddy open water and I'm like, okay, straight onto the advanced, what could go wrong? So go on to the advanced course. And I'm in the Philippines where you're allowed to jump uh, dive with World War II Japanese shipwrecks. Um, so for anyone that doesn't know, like Japan were a, a huge player on the Axis forces in the Second World War with um uh, like on Germany's side and so they were constantly battling the Americans in the second world war and trying to take over southeast Asia and so loads of their ships got sunk a few British ships a few American ships got sunk and so there's a lot in the Philippine Sea because Philippines was US occupied in the second world war and so we had the opportunity to dive into these shipwrecks that were enormous I'm trying to think in terms of length maybe 150 meters long um, like cargo carrying ships and in rooms that were uh, you couldn't even see the wall because it was so dark. You're at 30 meters deep. Like you can't see anything around you and you're just in a huge room in a shipwreck at the bottom of the ocean. Um, and so that's what happened in one of these dives. We were doing a, a dark dive. I had a torch. And so um, I was in this dive. It's quite a long story, but I'll, I'll try and keep it brief. I was in this dive with uh, another girl and our instructor and she was not very happy, i.e. she was uh, struggling. She was out of her depth, if you pardon the pun. She was like not uh, competent in her skills, essentially. And so the she was panicking quite a lot. And the instructor had told me to go first and her to go last because she was kicking up silt because then it was uh, obviously hinders visibility. But she kept kind of bumping into me. And then that was it was all getting a bit stressful. So I got out of her way. Um, but I, because I'm quite a big guy, big lungs, big muscles, I like to think. So I actually use quite a lot of oxygen compared to other people. And so we are in this Japanese shipwreck at like 30 meters deep. There's a really strong current outside the ship. And yeah, long story short, I don't want to take up the whole podcast, but you get 200 bars of pressure in a tank and then you have to really get back to the surface with around 40, 50 to be reasonable. Um, and so I was kind of getting through it. It was a bit of a stressful dive. There was a strong current. We were pitch black at like 30 meters deep in a shipwreck and it got to like, I was at 50 bar pressure. I was kind of letting my instructor know at the time he was like okay we've got to go back um then we try and go up 
out the shipwreck from the side that we're in, but we're about 50 meters, 40 meters down the shipwreck at this point. And the current's so strong, he like pops his head up, like gets, gets washed away a bit and then has to come straight back in again. So then we realize we've got to go all the way back down the shipwreck through back the way we came and then swim against the current to, to get back to the ship again. And so all the while I'm like looking at, <laughs> looking at how much uh, oxygen I've got left. And yeah, I got back with like 15 bar. So <laughs> we survived in the end, but it's things like that that make you realize that a bit close to the limit there. That's terrifying, honestly. I'm a big scuba diver. I've got my open water, which I think is the one after oh, Paddy. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. But, you know, in these situations, like you, the worst thing you can possibly do is panic because then you start breathing faster and just like absolutely get through your air. Um, so you have to stay calm. But honestly, I couldn't imagine being in that situation. I also remember doing my, you had to do your skills test for, um, I think it was the open water one that was a skills test before I got that qualification and we were abroad. I can't remember where we were, but it wasn't really, um, I don't know if it's legit the way this guy did this, but one of the things you had to be able to do was if you ran out of air, you had to know how to like do, deal with the situation. So in this case, share someone else's air from their tank and safely make your way to the surface. But what this guy did was just turn off my air when I wasn't, I wasn't looking, obviously, because he was behind me. So he just turns <laughs> off my air. And I was like, you know, just suddenly like, fuck, I can't breathe. Like it was the most panic yeah. situation ever because I was so not ready for it. And I somehow don't think that's what you're supposed to do as an instructor. But the panic was real. And honestly, I couldn't imagine being like even further down where you were and then being like, oh, shit, oh. It'll be awful. Yeah, no, but that is so that is the, what they meant to do. But my instructor told me that he was going to turn off the air. So he was like, just keep breathing. It'll go off at some point. So they do need to test you that you can do it like in a stressful environment. But yeah, that is a horrible wet that I remember it myself as well. You have that feeling where you're like, you suck in and you're like, okay. <laughs> what funny, <laughs> I'm pretty fixed. sure like, yeah, they should, they're meant to do it, but they're supposed to warn you that they're going to do it. Not just do it when you're Tell there. You, like, yeah. Fuck. Yeah. He, that's just. That's how he just makes his days feel a little bit more enjoyable, I think, pranking pranking young girls on their scuba paddies. <laughs> Probably. I think I was only like 15, 16. I thought I was going to die. Yeah, that's a young age to be doing it, to be fair. And it's the same with the mask, because I wear contact lenses. So, like, you have to take that off completely as well. Even in the paddy, you have to take it off at, um, like, at 10 metres deep or something, don't you? And that's that's pretty stressful. Yeah, I think you have to take it off and they they throw it don't you? you have to go find it i'm sure i had to do that <laughs> i don't know about that i'm sure i think he really gave me a hard time so i remember yeah he gave you a hard take time take it off and you, he didn't throw it far but you, you were supposed to go and find it but obviously you've got like salt in your eyes so you can't see shit it wasn't fun yeah i just had to take mine off fully like hold it hold it hold it away and then put it on again so yeah he, he shafted you a bit there yeah clearly <laughs> but anyway moving on You've obviously been to so many places. Are there any particular places that have blown your mind and like your expectations? Yeah. Um, and this is kind of the thing that everyone looks for when they travel. It's the it's the water aspect, by being near a sea, being near a, um, a lake or a river. And that's what makes the pictures beautiful. And obviously that is very calming and, and stunning to be around. But the thing is kind of expected when you're in a scenery like that. There is one that blew my mind, which I'll tell you about after, but... The one thing that like surprisingly blew my mind was the two deserts that I've been to, one of them the in Namibia and one of them in Jordan. Um, so there's a point in Jordan, the, the Wadi Rum Desert in Jordan is so vast and you can see all the way into Saudi Arabia on one side and all the way into Israel on the other. Um, and it's just so calming because there's no sound, no people. And so that was very like surprising in the way it blew my mind. And Namibia is the second least densely populated country in the world. And so we drove, I did a road trip with my mate and we drove for one of the days we saw one person the entire day, which was just like fascinating to think you can just be driving and all you can see is the horizon and the sea like the whole time and there's no one else around. Um, so that was, uh, yeah, perspective changing, mind blowing. But the one that's the most classically beautiful, I've pinned this one on my Instagram and it's um, it's called Padar Island. So it's one of the top three in my Instagram and it looks like Jurassic Park. It's the most stunning place. There's Komodo dragons on the island, a pink beach. And there's a viewpoint at the top uh, and it's, yeah, you feel like you're in a, in a painting when you're there, especially at sunset. Um, so yeah, go and have a, have a look at that if you need some travel inspiration. Yeah, that's amazing. On the other hand, have you got anywhere that you've been that you've sort of been like, 
why am I here? <laughs> I wish I wasn't here. Yeah, a few, to be fair. One of them was Cairo, and I went just for the pyramids. And uh, I was like, yeah, okay, I'll go to Cairo. I've not got that much of an interest in the city. I don't know what it's going to be like. And then I went over for the pyramids. And the pyramids are cool, but it's just like so the government without getting myself in any trouble like the government's not in a good way in Egypt and the police are not in a good way in Egypt and so when you're trying to like navigate your way through Cairo getting haggled by people for money constantly in the most aggressive way I've ever experienced plus trying to like witness a world wonder and then people are just like constantly trying to take advantage of you really (laughs) and then you can't turn to the police for help because they're just like paid for by the highest bidder is that's not a comfortable position to be in so I was like yeah so that but I knew kind of knew that going into it so I was like two days two days in Cairo go to Giza see the pyramids and then get and then get out of there um and I'm not like I'm I've spoke yeah I've spoken to someone that really enjoyed Cairo so this is the other thing as well don't let someone tell you something about a place um and that's contrary to what your expectations are or your opinions are that you can have an amazing time somewhere just because of the people that you're with and the time that you're there so just because I don't like it and just because I liked Indonesia and Jordan doesn't mean you will. So yeah, make your own mistakes and come to your own judgments is what I would say. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. One thing that you have done an amazing job whilst you've been doing all of this is staying in insane shape. For for those of you that don't know what Adam looks like yet, go look at his Instagram because you literally are in shape constantly despite the amount of traveling that you are doing. Um, Two questions here. One, how did you do it, first and foremost? And what lessons have you learned from doing it? Very flattering, Philly. Thank you very much. Um, <laughs> how did I do it? I think I, <laughs> I've got to be honest in the sense that I'm like an ectomorph originally, whereby I really struggled to put on fat. I really struggled to put on muscle. And so my goal when I'm traveling is just to get the calories in. And so in terms of when I'm away, my biggest enemy is losing muscle mass, is not gaining fat. And so that's what allows me to stay in shape throughout like year round. And there's many people that kind of, we talk about unrealistic body expectations, like other people may, will, other people will be able to do that to stay in their best shape. But it's easier for me because I just need to get the calories and protein in, whereas you're managing not over consuming, not under consuming. And and it's a, a, a more difficult, a more difficult thing to navigate, but yeah, so there's loads of things that come into it. And I actually have a, a free PDF that anyone can download. And there's a link to that in my Instagram. And it's my 10 tips for staying in shape while traveling. And it's basically the things that you might take for granted or, or not give enough thought to that are really crucial in staying in shape. And so for like, and they're especially towards me, but also towards whatever your, uh, your problems are. So one of them for me is front loading and back loading my calories. If I'm going on like a day or a multi-day expedition, where I know I'm going to be on 2,000 calories a day where, where I need three, three and a half thousand to maintain my weight. I'll just have a couple of days of 4,000 before, a couple of days of 4,000 calories after, have two dinners, that kind of thing. It's kind of just like being smart and taking taking the punches when they come. The same where if I'm like on a road trip in Namibia, I'm not going to find a gym. So I was like, okay, this is a deload week. I don't, I never plan deload weeks because there's enough time in my life where like things aren't optimal. So that's another way to look at it as well. So I was like, okay, in this week, I'll just do loads of push-ups on one or two days and then I'll hit back and, and, and legs like first when I'm back in the gym. So little things like that, making smart food choices. Uh, but also it comes from the decade of training. Like you can't replicate that. You need to go and make the, your body's changes in the gym first in a controlled environment because changing your body is so much harder um, than maintaining it. So if anyone was trying to copy me and say, okay, I want to get in shape while traveling, like you've got no chance. You don't have the facilities for that big man. So, <laughs> um, <laughs> what you need to do is you need to spend the time at home in a committed state, changing your body because your body doesn't want to change. And then when you go away, you can find that like that steady state and, and then maintain it. Um, so yeah, that's they're kind of my, my main bits of advice. Yeah. That makes perfect sense. Um, I bet it makes it seem like, when you are back in the UK, how easy it is, all things considered, like, especially when you've got access to everything, you can eat how you want, puts it into perspective, you know, sometimes I have to remind myself of this, if I'm working, or I'm busy, I'm like, Oh, I haven't got my calories in because I've been busy. That's no real excuse. Like I'm literally at home, my kitchen is just over there. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> <You> know, like <laughs> Sometimes it does just put things back into perspective. No, we spoke about this before as well. And that's one thing that really surprised me because my first trip was, uh, Uh, eight months in total and it's not having access to a fridge like I'm constantly moving hostels hotels Airbnb whatever it may be 
and like it's very rare that I'll be able to like go to the fridge for food so <laughs> you really miss that and things like on my first trip I missed cereal so much because it's just like an easy way to get four or five hundred calories in um, and so I'd constantly have to if I wanted food I had to socialize and that's not a nice position to be in as a as a, a closet introvert so I'd like have to go out go to a restaurant go and speak to people order food or get, buy it you know so yeah it's harder than a than like you said you take it for granted yeah what did you do in the period of time that you were with the hunter gatherers food wise yeah so luckily I had a chef so they um they didn't have any big catches when we were there unfortunately or I should say we I was part of the team uh, so on the first night they went I went with the kids and some of the younger adults and we did um I say we this time or I shouldn't say we because it was all them with the bow with bow and arrows their accuracy is just incredible and they were shooting like tiny birds um out of trees from like 10 meters away and so we rounded up a load of them they probably shot about seven or eight and then brought them back at night and so I luckily had a chef because it was kind of organized by the, the guy that set it up for me and so I went and into my tent and had my like chicken and rice or whatever but with them they ate the the bird around the fire and they gave me a bit of the meat and it was like I said bird not chicken but I was about to say it tasted like bloody chicken because obviously they don't wash it or prep it or anything they literally just pluck it roast it and then they were like here you go have, have some so I like politely took a bite and I was like yeah that's uh that's bloody chicken <laughs> and then, then handed it back to them um and then the next day we caught uh high rocks is the name of the animal and they're like kind of a mix between like a rodent and a and a, and a hare and a rabbit and so they're like this big probably just like a foot and a half long they carry a fair bit of meat on them and so we went and caught a load of them and then they roasted them that evening as well i have this memory i was i was quite young at the time but we um me my mum dad and brother visited the Maasai tribe when I was quite little and they were drinking I think don't quote me on this but I'm sure it was like milk and cow's blood warm milk and cow's blood and they offered it to my dad and funnily enough he was like no oh, he didn't I thought he would have <laughs> yeah because that's the other thing in cultural differences are, cra- are crazy you don't know whether they're going to be offended by that or not so I'm like <laughs> whatever they offer I've got to try a little bit no. of it was different. No, I remember it being difficult. Yeah, I remember him thinking, oh, my God, I, I don't want to offend them. But equally, I feel like I would just be yeah. sick if I had mm. this. So. It's a fine balance. Yeah. So my next question in terms of staying in shape is you are quite multifunctional as an athlete. You obviously lift weights. You've run marathons. You've hiked up high altitude mountains. <laughs> like, how do you balance that personally, especially, you know, as someone who clearly cares about the aesthetics of their physique as well yeah I think it kind of steps on the toes of my previous answer in terms of you're not going to get in shape while you're traveling so don't try and prioritize doing two things at once because it's not going to be in your wheelhouse and you're going to slow your progress down in both pursuits and so it's the same with the pursuits that I've gone for over over recent years as well like learning to skydive scuba dive high altitude mountaineering and get my physique in shape when I'm doing something like skydiving or high altitude mountaineering the physique's going to take a hit so it's about like periodizing in the same way you would periodize your training like okay my quads need work so I'm just going to like steady state my hamstrings while I'm trying to give more intensity to my quads for example it's the same when you're looking at like multifaceted endeavors so when it comes to uh, bodybuilding and mountaineering I'll be like okay I've done enough to maintain my muscle mass and eat enough food while I'm mountaineering I'm not going to train but I'm also going to try and sleep enough I'm gonna try and eat enough and then I'm gonna excel in this while that's on the back burner and it's the same with with running as well so because I'm not trying to gain muscle now and I'm not trying to get better at running because like I got tried to gain muscle for my physique I tried to get better at running for the marathon now those two things can just sit on the back burner and tick over and that's way easier to do than trying to be like oh I want to copy Adam I want to do running I want to do marathon I want to do skydiving it's like pick pick one do it get it to a position then pick another bring that one up like pretend you're a Sims character and you've got to level up different aspects of your life, but you can't do them all at once. Yeah, no, you're spot on as well. This is a thing I have quite, with quite a lot of my clients as well, I find. Um, particularly, I have a lot of women that will come to me and they want to get in shape as a primary goal, but they're also trying to spin multiple plates and they want to do running and they want to do like gym classes at the same time. And sometimes it's about going, that's not going to be it that's going to get you the physique that you want so you actually need to pick and choose right now like which one do you want more and it's fine if they want to do the classes and do the running then that's fine go and do that but you're not going to get 
what you want out of it. Yeah. Right. You know, if that's your primary goal. Yeah. It's that tough love approach because, as you know, I've just started coaching as well. And it's like you're working for them, but also you need to tell them what they can and can't do. Because if they're like, yeah, so this is my lifestyle and now you need to make it make get me in shape. It's like, OK, I, I drink heavily two days a week um like you said i want to do spin classes four days a week but i also want to build loads of muscle and it's like and i work a full-time job it's like well mate it doesn't really work like that you've got to then we've got to look at the holistic picture and prioritize what we want more 100 um, percent. you can't you can't be doing all of it yeah and, and i'm a coach who thoroughly thoroughly values having um as much balance as you possibly can in your life at the same time however like there's a limit to that it's as simple as that depending on what you want to achieve there's always going to be things that you aren't going to be able to balance perfectly particularly if your goal is fat loss because it it, unfortunately it is restrictive that's kind of the point (laughs) you know you kind of have to pick and choose what you want Yeah, that's the hardest one for sure, the fat loss, because obviously then you're limiting social interactions and what you can eat when you're out and about. Like someone says, do you want to go for a Sunday roast? You're thinking one and a half thousand calories. I can't really can't really do that. Um, Yeah. And so, as you say, you need to kind of live a balanced life, but you've got to optimize for one thing. And maybe that one thing you're optimizing for is balance. And so that that means you're training in a healthy way, you're eating in a healthy way, like you're not pushing too hard in, in any way. But if you look at the people that are elites in their fields, whatever it is, like, to become the best golfer, the best basketball player, the best footballer in the world. They're not balanced people because by definition of what they've achieved, they can't be, you know? Yeah, absolutely. Um, So I want to touch on your business and social media as well, because you've done such a great job of obviously growing your socials, Instagram, YouTube in particular, sharing your travel stories, your fitness, everything like that. What have been your biggest takeaways from growing a successful business? platform and a business yeah I think we're both very lucky because we discovered lifting quite young and this it's like a microcosm for life like bodybuilding because you learn patience in terms of like following a process and waiting for your you know for your physique to catch up you learn having to put the work in day after day after day having to do something you don't want to do consistently and that so many of those things you also get injured and you have to deal with setbacks and look at the whole the big the long-term picture like that's just a, a small list a handful of things that bodybuilding can apply to to everyday life and business is no different from that I've I'm luckily now I've kind of started this journey got into some circles where I've had some great conversations with people more successful than me and they say yeah like you, it's crazy especially people that lift and do business it's like all you have to do is try be willing to suck and then like you get better over time and it's just about doing doing your best trusting the process and so many of these things and these um i guess it's like a, a code of conduct and like standards that you set for your work ethic can transfer from one to the other to the other and so when it comes to business building a platform whatever it whatever it may be it's doing high quality things putting the work in consistently and being patient and by patient i don't mean expecting results overnight and like and like or, sorry by patient i don't mean not putting the work in and thinking oh it's going to happen like I can just sit like for a couple of days and not do anything you need to be working all the time and be willing to accept that you're not going to see changes so for my social media for example like putting out videos spending 10 hours editing multiple videos and 200 people watching it and then thinking what am I what am I doing this for like only 200 people and it's the same with going to the gym like your your eating spot on your sleep is spot on your training spot on and you look in the mirror after a month and you think I look exactly the same so you've got to be willing to put the work in without seeing the results. And that's why most people don't achieve because they're not willing to do that and then wait for the big picture return. Absolutely. I quite often get people asking me about how to grow an Insta- Instagram platform. And it's a really difficult question to answer because the, I don't know how I've done it, in all honesty. I think there are a few things that I've prioritised, um, but it's not like here's your textbook this is how you grow on Instagram. I think if you put out content that's valuable to people, that's the primary thing because people don't necessarily care about like looking at you. They want to know, you know, something that's going to help them in the long run. Um, I also think it's important from exactly what you said just there to have that sort of tenacity because you can spend a really long time editing something that you think is brilliant and it does absolutely dog shit when you post it (laughs) and there's not necessarily always rhyme or reason behind that it just happens and you've just got to go right okay that one wasn't it carry on and that's ultimately how 
you know you'll see it build over time we've just got to sort of you've just got to be as consistent as you possibly can honestly no yeah exactly as you said and you said there's no formula for building an instagram because that's what people want they want that one ticket this is what i need to do to put x in and get y out and it's the same like for everyone same for you same for me like we've both done things to build an instagram but they've been very different things we're very different people we had a very different approach and that's why they've grown because we're original people are getting value from us that they're not getting from somewhere else and so yeah exactly as you say if, if someone wants to do it they need to do the hard work on their own and find work out what value they can offer this is the other thing people ask me about with um like online hate and stuff like that and i know you've had your fair share as well you've got to put your be mentally in a position where it will just bounce off you like someday something will get you but you like will be able to leave it but i'm very fortunate in the position that i'm like a very honest person honest with myself honest with the people i speak to so that there's no like character flaw that someone can say to me online that i will be offended by because if they say something nice i'm like yeah thank you i already considered that if they say something negative i'm like yeah i already know that so it's like i'm not hiding anything and I'm like kind of impervious to that that kind of thing, and it, it can be relentless, especially as your as your platform grows, and especially with TikTok and Reels, because your content and we I don't think we've spoken about this, but I, I witnessed you had something that got like a, maybe a million at one point, and then you just in, you not invite, but you attract idiots <laughs> that are going to say something, not knowing anything about you, your journey, the context, whatever it may be, and so you've got to be able to let that bounce off you and think, okay, this guy's. This guy or girl's mad at their own life and their situation. They're trying to vent some frustration because they don't know the full picture. Like, and and when they attack you, I kind of, I just, or when they attack me, I just pity them rather than I'm angry about it. And so having that mental framework is crucial if you want to build an online following as well. Otherwise it can be quite unhealthy for you. Absolutely. I think especially on anything that goes kind of onto the explore feed on Instagram or TikTok in general, actually, it always is, you know the viewers of those sorts of things they don't follow you they don't have any context they don't give a shit about you so they will literally comment anything that they want and you've just got to be able to just let it bounce off you to be honest I think I've personally you 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 probably have as well done it long enough that you can kind of just go oh that's annoying but it is what it is I actually um on that note was on another girl's Instagram the other day she was a young girl trying to start a fitness page she was doing really well she posted a really great video um and this absolute dickhead commented on it like basically just calling her out for no reason it was so unreasonable and I commented back to him because I was like I just it gets under my skin when people do it to other girls um or other guys, particularly younger people, because I'm just like, like, no, they might not have as thick a skin as I have now with it. And that winds me up because it's just like, don't do that. I know that she'll probably learn to deal with that thing over the years, because unfortunately, as you say, it does happen. But it really winds me up. (laughs) No, and that's, but that's fair as well. It's nice of you to do that, because that's the reassurance that she needs to be like, okay, someone's got my back. I'm doing the right thing this guy's just an idiot instead of then having to engage and then like infiltrate her mental energy where she if she responds and then he's like more aggressive or whatever and so yeah it's a that's a a very fair approach yeah I like that how do you find um obviously with YouTube as well it well both actually but more so YouTube you're obviously having to film a lot of stuff is it always easy for you to get out the camera and sometimes let's face it doing anything to do with influencing you feel like a bit of a dick but <laughs> is it easy for you to do if you just completely got over that mental block with it um there's a couple of mental blocks aren't there and it's like you say the feeling like a bit of a dick it's like sometimes especially like pre-training you'll wake up and you'll think why does anyone care about my life like who am I to like talk to a camera this morning and then you kind of get in your own your own head about that and then sometimes you think I just really don't want to do this because I like for, for you and I we both treat it very much as work so when I post an Instagram story it's because I'm it's like to inspire people and like to share my journey it's not because I want you to compliment me on having my top off so it's like I'm not getting anything from it. So that's why it makes it more dif- difficult to do it. Um, and yeah, so your question was about, um, <laughs> remind me of the question because I, I had something else there that I forgot. Oh yeah, get speaking to the camera. Yeah, yeah. So in terms of speaking to the camera, it's more just energy. It's not nervousness anymore. So if I'm in a public space now, I can be confident enough to speak to the camera because I feel like I've kind of earned it. But when I when I started like, 
doing it in a public setting, whether I was traveling or whatever, and people are like, oh, you're doing YouTube. How many how many subscribers do you have? And I'll be like, oh, 200. <laughs> how many followers do you have on Instagram? Oh, like a thousand. So it's like, that's when it can be a bit demoralizing. Um, but now when you've obviously, like you've given yourself the, the proof that you're doing it for the right reasons and, and the practice, just the reps and reps and reps of speaking to the camera makes it much easier. So yeah, it's not, it's not a confidence thing so much anymore. It's just, uh, like you said, that, that self-talk, that self-talk aspect. Absolutely. I've recently got um, a little microphone. Oh, actually, I've used one with you before, the Rode microphones in the gym. So I've yeah, been doing yeah. more content like that. Yeah. Funnily enough, someone called me out on it the other day going, don't be that yeah. person with a mic in the gym. And I was just like, oh, do you know what? I am very much like you, past the point of caring. It is my job at the end of the day. Content creation is a huge part of what I do as it is for you. So, you know, you've just you it's more just repetitive practice than it is anything else and you do just get used to it yeah but the one thing i'll pick up on what you said there is someone called you out i was thinking interesting okay is she going to say someone in the gym or someone online and obviously it was someone online the people that actually um it was actually both oh okay (laughs) (laughs) yeah you made it sound like it was online but no this is this is this is what i'm this is what i was going to say like the only people that are going to call you out are the people that are jealous or bitter or beneath you anyway so like knowing that when you get called out makes it much easier to deal with um but yeah as you said like it's and in your experience i'm sure the 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 ratio of in person to online is is wildly different so you may have had that but that that's like out balanced by the hundreds that are online as well you know (laughs) 100 percent. so if you had somebody come up to you that was who was you know wanting to grow their business what um, maybe maybe social media maybe not what would your advice be to them if they were wanting to start a business of their own? My number one advice would be you have to love it or you have to love the grind in general because if you're trying to start a business and I've everyone's had this, everyone's had this business idea for five, like five years ago or three years ago, you invented Uber before Uber was invented kind of thing. But if you're not passionate about it and you're not willing to act on it and see it through, it's absolutely worthless. And so that came into my decision to do what I'm doing now. I was thinking, okay, I could get, when I left my last last job, I was thinking I could get another job doing this or that or that. But I, I thought, no, what's my number one? Like, what would I do if money was no object? What's the number one value that I think I can give while having the most fun? And so that's why I chose this path. And so that means that on my difficult days when I'm doing, or like, you know, work days, like since I've been back in England, there's been so many like, 10 hour work days where it's like get up at 7 30 and you're still on your laptop at 10 p.m um and i wouldn't do that if it wasn't something that i was personally invested in and passionate about and so yeah obviously there are there are days where like fuck this i'm not doing anything for a day i need some time off or whatever it may be but they're going to be way more sporadic if it's something that you love uh than if it's like oh i've got an idea for a a plant pot company let me it i think it's going to make money let me do it and then you do it for a couple of months and you think i don't care about plant pots and i don't want to make money this way you know so it's uh yeah do it like I've, it's a very convoluted answer for me saying do do what you love but i think that explanation is necessary because it it really shows how it impacts the, the day-to-day no you're absolutely right growing a business certainly isn't easy as well so you've got to have that passion behind it because you will find yourself having days or weeks or months where things aren't necessarily going to plan and you have to ride it out and you have to, you know, be so invested in it that you want it to succeed. Um, I couldn't agree with that more, honestly. Yeah. And then I think another thing, having one mission statement, like your North Star, when life gets in the way or you're, you're don't, not feeling mental clarity, you can look at one statement and think, is what I'm doing working towards that North Star? And so I have various ones at various times. And so, oh, sorry, I mean, I have ones that take over depending on where I'm at in my journey. But I can tell you that there was a position where I had not even started the YouTube yet. I maybe I had not even bought the GoPro yet. And then I had less just over a 1000 followers on Instagram. And I wrote in my notes on my iPhone, like I'm going to become the best travel adventurer the world's ever seen. Like, and obviously, there's a degree of delusion and arrogance in that. But unless you unless you have a North Star to aim at, it's like, okay, that's what that's what I'm going for. That's what I'm trying to achieve. Like, then you know, okay, does getting drunk this weekend aid that do I would I rather get drunk this weekend or work towards my my mission statement and so that's why I think uh, quantifying it in that way is super valuable yeah how do you find um taking days off 
with your own business because I know it's a very 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 tough one to do and sometimes you do find yourself in situations where you feel really guilty for actually taking your foot off the gas but sometimes it is the best thing for you because you can honestly from experience just run yourself into the ground a little bit and you do need to actually just stop but it's a very difficult one to do yeah it is and I think intentional rest is comes in super handy there like for yourself for example maybe it's 6 7 p.m you've got stuff you can be doing but would you rather spend four hours doing it at half speed because you're like in your own head you're not working properly or like a quarter speed like not outputting anything stressing yourself out then you wake up the next day and you have to do it all over again but you're not recharged or you could watch a you could like do an hour and a half of work watch a film chat to a friend go out and socialize and then you're more recharged and you're more productive long term so I think having intentional rest is super important. Um, and then one thing that I'm very lucky with the traveling is works my number one priority when I'm traveling. It's like, I need to get the shot. I need to get the content. I need to do the skill, whatever it may be. Um, but I'm obviously constantly surrounded by a new stimulus. That's very interesting. So I'm like, for example, on my, ne- oh, well, on, on any trip, say I'm, uh, yeah, I'll say for the next one, I know that I'm going to be in Mexico. I'll be standing in front of Chichen Itza making a video and I'll be thinking, okay, works, works the number one priority, but I'm not burnt out right now because I'm like also taking a moment to enjoy like the fact that I love what I'm doing. So it comes back to loving what you're doing as well, but it means like when I'm constantly thinking about working and filming and editing and everything's around that, that mission statement, at least you can take a breath and think, oh, you know what? I'm working, like whatever it may be, I'm working in the fitness industry. I'm in front of a beautiful thing or I'm doing a challenge that I love so that you can you can keep stuff in context absolutely love that and my final question for you on very much the same note is what advice would you give to anyone who's wanting to go traveling like you have done yourself um it would be do it because if you if you're already in the position where you're like oh i want to do that then (laughs) then, uh, there's nothing that should be stopping you Uh, obviously don't quit your job go traveling come back home have no money and think adam you've ruined my life What what are you doing mate um but there'll be a situation, whatever it is, maybe you, you want to take a career break, maybe you're switching jobs, or you're in a position where you can take a couple of months off. And you're nervous about uh, all the things that might be the reason you don't want to go. You're, you like, so you've sorted the, the money situation out, you're like between jobs, you've been saving up, you might be nervous about going on your own. And that's kind of, it's a difficult one to say my advice would be don't be nervous in the same way that if someone's got anxiety, you can't just say don't be anxious, mate. But when it comes to traveling, really don't be nervous, because you're going to go to a place where there's loads of other like Westerners. Um, Like if you pick Southeast Asia, for example, you're going to be surrounded by people that have similar interests to you different interests to you locals that you don't know at all. And so you won't be alone or lonely. And you'll be safe because it's a well trodden path. Um, but yeah, dip your dip your toes into the pool gently and, and just go for it because you'll learn so much about yourself. Obviously, not, I'm not talking about finding yourself. I'm talking about the fact that you're going to become a better problem solver. You, your your um, uh, perspective on life is going to change because you're surrounded by different stimulus. So yeah, it can offer so much. Um, but get get the finances in order, work towards it, and then don't be scared because you're going to meet people and you're like you're not going to be alone. Amazing. Well, it's so nice to chat to you. Genuinely, I find your story so interesting. And what you've done is incredible. Because I do think as much as you're like, yes, it's really easy to go traveling. I know that I would be shitting myself if I was going to do that. So fair play to you. Um, And it was really, really lovely to chat to you. I'm going to tag all your socials in the description below. So if anyone wants to, everyone should, by the way, go follow you if they don't already. Um, But yeah, thank you so much for coming on. And we'll have to do this again soon. Yeah, but when I'm back from my next trip, we can uh, we can reconvene. Thank you for having me and keep smashing the podcast because you're inspiring more people than, than you know, I'm sure. I appreciate it. Thank you. And yeah, we'll get you back on when you're back from Mexico.